We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Second Chronicles chapter 28. And, uh, you know, it's a really tough chapter. A part of me didn't want to do it. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, last week I did a study on the Holy Spirit and I, I really, I, I was blessed, man, because God's really encouraging, God's really challenging me uh, to be walking in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, um, I was kind of debating on whether or not to go back into Second Chronicles. Uh, but, uh, you know, our conviction is just to teach through the Bible. We don't get to choose what we teach it's god who chooses and we get the full counsel of god doing it that way but then it was kind of cool because then i got a, a text message from someone who said that that was their personal devotional reading for the day and i don't get text messages like that very frequently and so this is from the lord man and so it's a heavy message it's a difficult message but i'm really grateful for the the tough messages because at the end of the day god wants you to go to heaven and not hell God's going fishing for you. God loves you. He died for you on the cross. But the devil's going fishing too. Don't you know that? And he's trying to take you away from God and take you out of the will of God so that you can't be used by God, so that you come you know, complacent. and Just so many things that are happening. And we're blending in with the world and God wants us to be radically different. And so... You know, we got to hear the hard messages too, you know, we really got to be a holy people. And so this is one of those instances in the in the Bible where we have a guy who was wicked, he was one of the worst kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the only reason he wasn't the worst is because the Bible says later on this guy Manasseh was, but at least Manasseh turned to the Lord at the end of his life. This guy didn't. This guy went to hell. There's no doubt about it. And so we need to take heed to lessons like this. Look what we read in Second Chronicles 28. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So think about it. He died at the age of 36. How many of you here, uh, just out of curiosity, are older than 36? So you would be dead already, man. He was 20 years old. He became king. He reigned for 16 years, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. And he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children. Check this out. He burned his children in the fire. That's crazy. He burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. I mean, that was the reason the Lord kicked them out of the land, because they burned their children. I mean, this is how bad God's people had become. And so it says right there, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. And so, just in case for you Bible students, you guys want to get like the full picture, you want to read probably 2 Kings chapter 16, also the book of Isaiah chapter 7. I mean, this guy right here was the most wicked ruler in the southern kingdom up to this point. And we read there again, notice in verse 1, because this is really all that matters, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Because the Lord sees everything, right? 
I mean, he wasn't like David, who was a man, the Bible says in Acts 13, 22, after God's own heart. No, he was more, it says right here, like the northern kings in the kingdom of Israel, the, the bad kings who worshipped the Baals. And worse, we read there in verse 3 that he not only burned incense to idols, but he even burned his own children in the fire. And let me tell you something, dads. Uh, you know, if you're not right with the Lord... Your children are going to suffer, you know, and it happens in, in many different ways. Um, of course, every son has a responsibility whether or not they're going to choose to follow God. But you as a dad can help them. You as a dad can either usher them or help them or encourage them or bless them or model for them an example of what it is to be a godly man. You can be used by God to help them go to heaven. But you can also be used by the devil, to help them go to hell. Which will you choose? What will you do for your kids? It's not just for dads. It's for moms too. You know Warren Wiersbe. He said this. He said when a father is disobedient to God. Often the children suffer the most. Think about that. And it's true in so many ways. I mean how many of us here. You know I started drinking when I was seven. You started drinking because your dad was drinking. Or you hit you know, females, because your dad hit females. I mean, how dumb, how crazy, how ludicrous uh, that a man would hit a woman. But it happens, and then you get high because they got high. You know, what an influence we are on our children. And, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ can break that cycle. The Lord Jesus Christ can break that cycle and set us free. When I gave my life to Christ, I never got high again. Never got high again. Was it me? No, it was the Lord. When you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, you won't have sex before you get married. It's just a matter of whether or not you yield yourself to the strength that He will provide by His Holy Spirit. And so we see right here that, unfortunately, this guy, he didn't serve the Lord and his children, they suffered for it. And this is a heavy, heavy message for us because we still do this, you know? I mean, it's... Uh, it's crazy. Uh, look there at verse 3. He burned incense, it says, in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he burned his children in the fire. I mean, this is crazy, man. Uh, the word Hinnom, it means lamentation in the Hebrew language. It was later transliterated into the word uh, Gehenna in reference to hell or hell fire. Uh, Gehenna, if you're wondering, is transliterated from the Hebrew word Gehinnom. You see the word Hinnom there? Gehinnom, Valley of Lamentation, Valley of Hinnom. This valley, it ran southwest of Jerusalem where there was a site right there for child sacrifice. And so that's why you read in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, it says, And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, God said, nor did it come into my heart. I mean, Jeremiah prophesied that when God judged Judah, the valley of Hinnom, the valley of Ben-Hinnom, Ben means son, this place right here would be filled with bodies left unburied, associating the place with judgment. You read that in Jeremiah 7, verses 30 through 33, and chapter 19, you read the whole chapter Later, the valley right there of Hinnom was used as a place to burn trash and the bodies of criminals. They would burn the bodies of criminals there. They would burn the dead animals there. 
And by the time, this place was so bad that by the time it reached New Testament times, the Jews used Gehenna as a synonym for hell. Hell. Okay? And so here's the thing, you guys. I think it's interesting that the place where their daughters and sons suffered would one day be equated to the place where they would suffer in hell. Right? I mean, I think it's even more interesting that the place where we would undoubtedly parallel to the modern-day version called abortion, the killing of innocent children eventually became the place of damnation. I mean, you think about all the sins that are going on in our, in our, in our world today, and, and we think of war, and it's bad, and we think of the homicides, and the suicides, and all the th- but but out of all of them, Can you think of one worse than killing innocent children? I can't. I can't think of one worse. And and yet that's where we are as a country. That's where they were. They were so bad. If you're here today and you had an abortion, this is by no means meant to condemn you. But this is for us to deal not necessarily with, you know, looking back and regret and sorrow, but it's more along the lines of looking forward from this day forward God help us to see the babies as babies. And God help us as a, as a church to pray and to see how huge this issue really is. I mean, it, it, to me, it's just crazy how we look at this and we need to see the way that God doesn't take this lightly. All these babies that are being killed, 58 million babies since Roe versus Wade, in our country alone, do you think that God doesn't see that? Do you think that God isn't concerned with that? Absolutely. He is completely concerned. That's why we're headed for judgment. And of course, the entire world is guilty of this sin as well. According to the World Health Organization, there are approximately 45 million abortions worldwide every single year. Somewhere around 125,000 Abortions every single day. Kids, children, innocent are being murdered, slaughtered. But percentage-wise, we need to know this, that we as a country are the most guilty of all. And it's for that reason alone that God's going to judge our country. It's for that reason alone, because we're already on the moral decline, that we are on the slippery slope sliding to the judgment of Almighty God. There's no way around it unless we stop killing children. It's as clear as day. Anyone can see this. In our country where they say half of all pregnancies are unintended, right? And so 40% of those pregnancies are terminated. 3,000 every single day in our country two out of every ten babies conceived are offered up and burned on the same altar, the altar of Molech. You see, the way that it works is so simple. There's demons, you know, and the, the, you know, I'm not a weird guy. I don't believe that demons are around, you know, behind every, you know, rock or whatever. And a lot of it is just us because we're wicked people and we live in a fallen world. But there are, there is structure in Satan's kingdom. I mean, you got to know that. Do you think he's disorganized? No, the devil's very organized. And he has this one demon or maybe a host of demons, the spirit of Molech, that demon, the one where they killed babies. It's just in a different way now. 
Now they do it over there in Planned Parenthood. And as Planned Parenthood has started, they say one out of every four abortions, some say one out of every three abortions, takes place behind the doors of Planned Parenthood, where our government, last year alone in 2014, gave them $500 million to kill all these babies. And our president, our president goes and speaks at one of their functions, and what does he say? God bless Planned Parenthood. You know, when I was just looking at the news, even today, reading the news that our national government, our federal government has stripped Kansas away from their government dollars because Kansas took a stand against the way that Planned Parenthood is selling baby parts. And so they're not funding Planned Parenthood. You know, so what do they do? They take it. I see, I see this, is, this, is our, this is our nation. King Ahaz is like our president. And this nation of Judah, which at one time was a God-fearing nation, is now in the same place that we're going to read about today. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, because I know you guys are like, oh man, man, he's mad tonight. No, I'm not mad. <laughs> i got to tell you this though, man. The next king is Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king. So I'm not like losing all hope, but unless the revival is real, God is going to judge our country. There's no way around it, you know? And so let's look at this text and God help us to learn from it. I mean, when it comes to abortion, let's call him or her who they are. It's a child at the moment of conception. Remember that it's, we have a baby, not a fetus. Let's call it what it is. It's murder. It's the taking and ending of a life. It's not an abortion. It's homicide. You know, let's finish the sentence. Yes, it is a woman's choice. It's a woman's choice to kill. That's what the bottom line. Ladies, mommies, if you ever are put in that position, maybe it was an unplanned pregnancy, so to speak, understand this. It may not have been planned by you, but it was planned by God. Life is a gift from God. You know, I'll tell you what, when I was uh, conceived in my mom's womb, my mom and my dad, they weren't married. They weren't planning on me. You know, my mom, was she was, she was young. She could have very easily, and some were telling her to kill me. Could have happened. I'm kind of grateful it didn't, you know. <laughs> Maybe you're not, but <laughs> I am. That's life. And mommies, I encourage you to know that if you let your baby live, you will never be sorry. It will be the biggest blessing beyond your wildest imagination. And the thing is, is, is God not some sort of, you know, elected ruler trying to detect which way the wind blows? You know, he's not a temporary judge that has to bow down to the laws of the lower land. No, he's clear on this issue and he's the king of kings, remember that. And he's the judge of all the earth over all these so-called Supreme Court justices or judges or whatever they are, to which one day they will have to stand. And what we see is this is a national issue, it's a personal issue, and God's word is clear. The children of Israel should have known better. And I think, don't you think, don't you think 
that the people, even the unsaved people, don't you think even they know better? I talked to a lot of guys, and I remember even uh, Ryan, Pastor Rolf's son. I mean, he, that was something he would never, he didn't want that. He wasn't even know the Lord yet. We know better. But what do we do? Because of the fact that it's an accepted thing in the society, we bow down to that altar of convenience. The Jews should have known better. It was clear in his word. And remember this, you guys. This is your authority. Not you, not your friends, not the laws of the land. It's the laws of the Lord. And the Bible was clear. For example, in Leviticus 18.21, it says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. That's what he said to his people. God didn't take this lightly, so he, he, he promised to punish them. The Bible says in Leviticus 20 verse 2, Again, you shall not say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel, of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Now, we don't do that. We, we don't go to uh, you know those clinics and kill people. Because we don't live in a theocracy, right? We're not the same as Israel. We're comparing apples with oranges, but we should take a stand against it. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 3, God says, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. You see, God wanted the people of Israel as a theocracy to be governed by him, and so as a result of that, he wanted them to make sure that they dealt with it, that if this happened, they didn't just look the other way. And so it says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5, If the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family. Think about that. And I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. You see, it was never, ever, ever, ever part of God's plan. You know, and again, like I said, if you're here today, don't let the enemy beat you up. You know, and somewhere in your past, maybe something like this has happened. I want you guys to know this. The blood of Jesus Christ will wash away all your sins. One of the greatest people in the Bible used by God, Paul the Apostle, was a murderer. So don't think that you can't be cleansed and forgiven, but you've got to come to the cross. As a matter of fact, a lot of young ladies, and this is what they don't tell you in Planned Parenthood, they go, they have the abortion, and they're just dying inside. And they're broken, and they're ripped up, and their heart has not been healed. Why? Because the only real way of healing is to come completely to Jesus Christ. And that's where God's calling all of us tonight. He wants all of us here to come to Him with absolutely reckless abandon. See, not one foot in and not one foot out. Not like this guy Ahaz. This guy Ahaz was very religious. He was very religious. And maybe you're here today and you're very religious. You go to church, you know, whatever, four times a week. And you read your Bible, you know, eight times a week. And, uh, you know, you pray and you do all that kind of stuff. But you know that you're in sin. You know that you're not right with God. Do you think that God's okay with that? Do you think that God's going to say, well, you're very religious and you got all your religious activity and you even serve in the ministry and so you're fine and dandy? Absolutely not. 
One day you'll stand before God and your heart, your heart will be exposed to Him. That's why our heart has to be right with the Lord. It's not religion. This guy was very religious, but he wasn't right with the Lord. Ahad was bad. Uh, we read there in verse 4 that he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills. And think about this, under every green tree. He was uh, religious. Uh, he was the epitome of uh, uh, what's it called? Polytheism. You believe in all the different gods, right? Is That's the way kind of our kings are nowadays. Like oh, all the religions are good. They're all the same, right? I mean, he thought he ought to be politically correct, that it would be the best thing for the nation. And that's not right, you guys. You know what our country needs? Our country needs a, a man who would lead our country with the convictions of the scriptures, with the convictions of Jesus Christ. Not somebody who's out there as a typical politician wanting to please everyone, because that you can't do that. Let there be a man who rises up and who desires to please God. When that happens, God's going to bless our, our nation. Maybe one of you can run for president. Uh, Bob, I'll vote for you, bro, if you, if you do that, man. Somebody, man. Some Christian that's right on. I remember talking to one guy. He said, well, you can't be a Christian and be president. You can't be a Christian and be governor. Because they say, once you rise up too high, you've got to be corrupted somewhere along the line. Maybe it's true. I don't know. But, man, let's pray that the Lord will do that. And maybe that will be you. And so this was a situation, and look what happens in verse 5. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. And then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed, notice this, check this out, 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, Ephraim is part of the northern kingdom, he killed Maaseiah, the king's son, notice, as he came, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was second to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women. Think about that. Sons and daughters. And they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. And, and we read there in verse 5 again, notice if you would look there, that the Lord God, his God, delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. We read he was delivered to be defeated into the hands of Israel again later in verse 9. And what we, what we need to see is as a result of their sin, God was delivering them into the hands of their enemies. God was disciplining them because they were his children. I mean, think about it, man, 120,000 men. It says there in verse 6, they were valiant men. I mean, these were men that were supposed to win, but they were defeated because the Lord was disciplining them, right? I mean, 200,000 women and children, they were naked, they were humiliated, they were raped, they were fatherless, and there they were led away to be slaves. 
the king's son was dead. We read in verse 7, the officer over the king's house, the second man in charge, they're all dead, calamity, tragedy. Why? Because of the sin. You know, and what we find is that if you're a son, you're going to get, you know, disciplined because God is our Father. We read there at the end of verse 6, it's because the Lord had forsaken, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. That's why they had forsaken Him. You know, they, they couldn't say that they hadn't been warned. God warned them. I mean, if they forsook the Lord, God had warned them back in Deuteronomy in 28 and 29 that they would suffer severely, they'd be disciplined, defeated, even devastated. And so the onlookers would then be established and they say, what happened to that guy? What happened to you know that pastor? What happened to that church? What happened to that family? They were at one time an absolutely beautiful family. What happened to them? And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 29 and 24 and 25. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of the anger, uh, great anger mean? And then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. You know, and that can happen, man. People get saved. They get brought out of Egypt. And then they go back to their vomit. They can go back to Egypt. They go back to the world. They go back to their sins. They go back to their addictions. They go back to their foolishness. They go back to prison. They go back and God brought them out. Why? It's crazy. It's just absolute insanity because they don't strengthen themselves. You know, let me tell you guys something, man. Life flows out of worship. You want to be obedient to God? You want to be, you know, that guy who goes and is a world missions or personal evangelism or whatever it might be, you know, uh, discipleship. Don't focus on those things. Focus on God. Because life will flow out of worship. You know, I always tell people, don't, you know, focus on yourself. Because what's going to happen if you focus on yourself? You're going to be depressed, right? That's what's going to happen. But if you focus on the Lord, you're going to be blessed. God loves you. There's three things that I think are important when it comes to the Lord. Number one, creation. I mean, He made everything. He made you. I'll tell you what, you know, that's a good reason to worship Him, creation. Number two, redemption. I mean, He died for you on the cross. There on Calvary, God died for you. You know, creation and redemption, those are great reasons to worship Him. And then number three, I think of this all the time, His attention. How He's always watching over you. How He knows how many hairs you have. How He knows every tear you cry, every thought you think, every hurt that you have. How He's always watching over you. Those are three great reasons to worship. You know, you've got to glance at yourself. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for self-examination. But you must gaze on God. That's where our concentration should be. And when we realize that we have a God who loves us, who made us, who died for us, and who's watching over us every single day, a moment of our life, even when we go to bed, think about that. You guys, when you go to bed, you ever think about the fact that you're hibernating? 
you guys ever think about that? I'm like, okay, time for bed, and you go to sleep, and then, you know, he just keeps everything going, and then before you know it, you wake up in the morning, and then you have a new day, and you go and you have your raisin bran, and boom, man, the day starts. I mean, we don't think about it, but God has kept us all night. He helped us fall asleep, and then he wakes us up in the morning. I mean, he's just always watching over us. Let's worship him. Stop worshiping yourself when you do your own will when you do your own thing you know what that means you are your own god and it shouldn't be that way because where were you when you know things were made and did you die for yourself do you really take care of yourself no it's totally the lord i mean worship should be the centerpiece of the church it really should you know, what we find right here is these guys had left the Lord. They had forsaken the Lord. And, you know, what we find, for example, if you go back, if you have a Bible, you can go back to Second Chronicles uh, 24. It, in verse 20, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest who stood above the people, and he said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? so that you cannot prosper. Now, that's interesting. Uh, you know, that's not just somebody who, you know, is getting, you know, beat up. This is a person who won't succeed. They won't prosper. That's God's form of discipline on their life. Why? It says right here, because you have forsaken the Lord, He also has forsaken you. And, and what that means is this. It doesn't mean that the Lord's going to leave you and, you know, you lose your salvation necessarily, but what it means is he's going to give you a trancaso. That's what it means, man. He's going to give you a trancaso. He really is, man. And when you hear parents, you have to do that every once in a while to your kids, right? You have to discipline them. You have to give them that God does. Don't you think that God does the same thing to us? He, he really does. And that's what he was doing to the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean that God necessarily disowned them because he didn't at this point but he did discipline them because the bible says whomever the lord loves he chastens and this is exactly what's going on here god is severely disciplining his children right god's discipline is his caring correction to get us back to where we belong you think god's cool with you being like ah, lukewarm yeah how many of you think that god's cool with that no way no love relationship would ever want that love to die or to wane or to be, you know, neutral. No, God wants it to be passionate and real. And so what he'll do is he'll deal with us. And some of you here today, and I have to look at my own life, are being disciplined. And you don't even realize it. And that's why he has to keep disciplining you because he's trying to wake us up, right? It's his caring correction, right? Because he wants to bring us back to where we belong. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, it says, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. If you're not being chastened, then you're not God's child. And so don't think it's all bad. Let's just say you got a couple of kids up here, okay? And they're up here and they're messing with angels' pedals and then they start, you know, you know, doing the... The, the guitar and they hop on the drums and you know they're doing whatever and they're you know you know unless they say one of them's yours one of them's not okay you come up here I mean the chances are you're gonna spank your own kid 
But you don't spank the other person's kid, do you? Because if you do, you're probably going to get hit or arrested or something, right? You don't discipline. Even though I know some of you here want to. I understand that. You just can't. Take them to their parents. Say, here, deal with them, right? Here, I want you to deal with it. No, we don't because God deals with us. God disciplines us. Why? Because we're his children and he's trying so hard to bring us back to where we belong. That's it. Because he loves you. And I know it hurts. I I know it does. I I read a story about a little boy who was out uh, in the lake one day and he had a a little boat and... And he started playing with the boat. Next thing you know, a wind came and it just drifted away. And so there was a man right there who saw this whole thing happen. He saw the little boat drifting away. And so what he did was he started throwing rocks at the boat. And the little boy at first didn't like it. He was horrified at what might happen to his little boat. But then he realized that the rocks weren't damaging the boat. They were thrown in such a way as to create ripples that finally pushed the boat back to shore and into the little boy's hands, you see? And, and many times when we stray from God, it, it's kind of like it appears as if he's throwing rocks at us, but he's really using the ripples of those rocks to bring us back to where we belong, you guys. Let me tell you something. The Lord loves you. I mean, there's no one who loves you like Jesus loves you. He loves you. He died for you, and he wants you to be right there in that place of joy, of peace, of love, of purpose. He doesn't want you to get sidetracked or distracted or discouraged or bummed out. No, he wants to bring you to that place where you belong. And he'll deal with our lives. He doesn't utterly leave us or forsake us. As a matter of fact, he didn't with Judah either. We see that here. Even though 120,000 men died and 200,000 women and children were on their way to slavery... You know, it looks as if things were happening that would end their nation. But watch what happens in verse 9. It says, But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded. And he went out before the army that came in Samaria and said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. Okay, if you have a pen, you might want to circle that word rage, okay, because we're going to come back to it, right? And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves, but are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, Berechiah the son of Meshilamoth, and Jehezekiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives here, for we already have offended the Lord. You intend to add our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. And then the men who were designated by name, they rose up, they took the captives and from the spoil, they clothed all those who were naked among them, dressed them, 
gave them sandals, gave them food and drink, and anointed them, and they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees, and then they returned to Samaria. And so it didn't look good. It almost looked like it was the end. 120,000 valiant men dead, 200,000 women and children on their way to slavery. And they're going to Israel. And man, there ain't nothing good in Israel. But what ends up happening? There is. There's a prophet. He's got a funny name. His name is Oded. I, I encourage you to name your son Oded. <laughs> um, you know, and so he was there. And let me. that's another lesson for us. Don't you guys know? God always has a remnant. Huh, there's always somebody there, even in the darkest places. And so there's Oded, and what does he do as he's there? He, he, he takes a lot of courage, because these guys are packing. They got swords, they got you know weapons galore. And, and here's one prophet. I mean, these guys that just killed 120,000 men and taken all these women and children captive, they don't got no conscience. But he rises up and he says, hey, that's not right. That's not right what you're doing. You're taking all these 200,000 people as slaves. It's not right in the sight of the Lord. And God has sent me to warn you that if you do, God's going to deal with you. You know, and it's just so cool when you see the way that this guy rose up and became bold. You know, these guys, unfortunately, from Israel, um, they fell into this thing uh, called rage. Um, as they're killing and as they're, I mean, think about that. You know, just they kind of just lose even the moral compass that the unsaved person would have, you know? I mean, and that's a scary place to be, but it can happen like that, huh? Have you guys ever gotten mad? Have you ever gotten mad for, you know, the, the dumbest reasons? I can't believe you burnt my toast and next thing you know it's like you're so angry and next thing you know that slips into something else and next thing you know you're like you lose all sense of mind i mean and it happens uh they call it rage as they're on their way this rage had reached the heavens and just as a quick side note here i want to encourage you guys to be careful because there might be some of you here today where one day you just get so mad you lose it you get you know furious you get you know, you're outrageous or, you know, you suffer from rage and you kill somebody. That can happen. That can happen. I mean, it's crazy, this whole thing. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the National Institute of Mental Health said that over 7% of Americans suffer from IED. It's called intermittent explosive disorder. <laughs> And so now you can tell your wife, well, that's what I have. I have IED, okay? And it's defined as multiple outbursts completely out of proportion. And so the article is crazy. It goes on to describe those afflicted by it. And, uh, and let me just say that you're not afflicted by it necessarily. Um, you probably afflict others, right? When you get angry and you get uh, that whole thing called rage, that's what happened here. These guys started killing, and they lost all sense of moral compass. And then, you know, the, the Lord intervened. Now, I, I read a really, really sad story, and I think that we've seen many, many stories. This one right here is a Florida man who was killed in front of his family after road rage. Have you guys ever been part of the road rage thing? I know I have. I'll be honest with you. It's kind of funny. Someone was asking me the other day, I'm going to talk to Aaron and see if you ever get mad. 
And I said, don't talk to Aaron because I, I do get mad. <laughs> and I've been in, even in the, in the car, dumb situations, you know, where I'm going to get my gun or something. I mean, give me a break. So anyways, what was happening was this guy was following. And so you know how it is when someone's too close to you? What do you guys do? Step on your brakes, right? What does that mean? Get off of me, buddy, right? You step on your brakes, right? Next thing you know, the guy's on him. He's on him, he's on him, he's on him. And they're going back and forth, and they're having their discussions. The other day, even Shelly and I were walking, and there's one car passing another one, and he was cussing him out. And so it happens all the time. Anyways, he was so upset that he followed him to his house. He got out of his car. The other guy, he, uh, he parked his car, and he got out of his car too, but he didn't get out alone. He had a gun. And he shot him five times in front of his family. That can happen. How does that happen? Road rage. It happens with rage. It happens by the enemy amplifying the anger that we have within. It's something that only God can give us victory over. You see, this is what happened right here. Thank God that the Lord intervened. He brought the prophet. And not only did he bring the prophet... But he also brought the leaders, and the leaders stepped up too. I mean, thankfully, the prophet stepped in, and then the leaders stepped up to calm down this whole situation. And the Lord then, these guys that were armed, they said, okay, well, go ahead, you deal with them. And then the leaders, is so cool, they then clothed the naked captives, and they gave them sandals and food and drink, and they even tended to their wounds. That's what being anointed is. And they offered their donkeys for the weak to ride on, and, and then they were able to, to send them home. And so the Lord showed them mercy, right? And so the leaders of Israel then saw that as God's act of mercy in their life. Thank God I'm not dead. And so they did the right thing, right? Wrong. They didn't, even though God gave them a second chance. Notice what happens next. In verse 16, it says, And at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him, for the, again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah. And let me just make a, a real quick pause right there. Dude, why are you going to the, the king of Assyria? Why won't you go to God? But what does he do? He goes to the king of Assyria. Hey, can you help me out? Because I'm having more problems now. Now it's the Edomites. And now it's going to be the Philistines. And just all these things happen. Verse 18, the Philistines also had invaded to the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth, Shemesh, Aijalon, Gedareth, Soka with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimza with its villages. And they dwelt there. I mean, this is everything is being stripped away from them. For the Lord, it says, it was the Lord who brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had, notice, encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Now let me tell you something. We read that because God loves you. God loves you. I mean, it's one thing, let me tell you, it's one thing to experience moral decline for yourself. It's quite another category when you encourage others in their moral decline. It's one thing to be unfaithful and to stumble. 
But it's another thing, what we read right here, to be continually unfaithful. And that's where Ahaz was. And God writes it down because he says, I don't want that to be you. I love you. I want to bless your life. I'm the God of all the universe and I can. So what I need you to do is to go on the moral incline. What I need you to do is get stronger as a man of God, stronger as a woman of God. And I want you to encourage others to do the same. Yeah, you're going to stumble, but don't continuously do it. Ask God to give you a consistency in your life. See, this is where we see this guy right here. He, he, he had been given chance after chance, and he, and he wasn't going in the right direction. In verse 20, also Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. You know, what we read is that they had taken from the temple, given it to the king of Assyria. Hey, can you help us? And he said, no. They gave him the money, but he didn't do the job. Instead of helping them, it says that he distressed them. And it's a very, very strong word in the Hebrew language that speaks of the oppression of the devil. And that's what happens when we don't want to do things God's way distressed it's a crazy word in verse 22 now in the time of his distress king ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the lord and this is that king ahaz for he sacrificed to the gods of damascus which he had defeated him saying because the gods of the kings of syria helped them i will sacrifice to them that they may help me, but they were the ruin of him. That, that word ruin, you might want to circle it. It's a terrible word. It's a terrible word. You know, because I think of like, when I think of like, whenever I talk to people, I think, you know what, there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. And maybe you messed up, and maybe you stumbled, and maybe you sinned, but man, I'm not going to give up on you. And I keep fighting for you. But, you know, you have to make a choice somewhere along the line to get real 100% because if not here's the here's the bottom line we have the capacity to ruin our life and that's what god is saying i don't want you to do you know for those of you who are christians i mean i thank god that you know you you've trusted in christ and i don't you know i'm not talking about necessarily you know I don't know. I mean, some say you can walk away, lose your salvation. I kind of I, I kind of believe that. I kind of think that if someone says, I don't want you, Jesus. I don't want you in my life. I kind of believe that he'll honor that. But even, you know, if you're here and you're like, well, I believe in eternal security, and that's fine. It's an in-house debate. But at the end of the line, you can't have a saved soul and a wasted life. So either way, what's God calling us to? He's calling us to his love. I mean, I know, like I told you in the get-go, it's a hard chapter to deal with because it's all bad. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you guys this. It's kind of funny. Last week was my wife and I's 20... How many years, Shelly? 26 years uh, as being a Christian. It was our birthday uh, last Thursday. And I, you guys, some of you still owe me gifts um, from that <laughs> night, to be honest with you, man. You know, lampposts would be fine. But anyways, um, <laughs> I told Shelly, I said, I don't want to do Ahaz on my spiritual birthday. 
It's just, so we talked about the Holy Spirit last week. So anyways, here we are a week later, and we're like, man, this is a tough chapter. Talking about the way that this guy was totally, totally smashed by the devil, you know? And But hopefully it encourages us. Next week we'll get into Hezekiah. He's a victorious king and everything. But my prayer is that we could learn from these lessons, you guys, that that would not be us, right? I mean, here's this guy, and here's what I noticed about him. He tried everything but God. He tried everything but God. And when, we, when, 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 I'm, when I'm talking about trying God, I'm talking about praying the way you should. I'm talking about being obedient the way you should. I'm talking about being in your word the way you should. I'm talking about being having a heartbeat the way you should. I'm talking about when God says that's sin, stay away, you, you stay away. I'm talking about when you really try God, don't say you tried Him when you only gave Him half your heart. That's not trying God. I mean, when you really, here's this guy, he tried everything but God. What I want to say today is that give God a chance. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. Give Him everything. And you watch what God will do. He'll blow your minds. I mean, right here, unfortunately, he didn't do that. It says in verse 24, So he, he has gathered the articles of the house of God and cut in pieces the articles of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. That doesn't sound good. Made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Again, like I said, he was very religious. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. And so we read the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last. Indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And so Ahaz rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem. But they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then whoo, Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Oh, thank God for Hezekiah, huh? It's going to be a revival for a period. But then we know, it's kind of crazy, he has a son named Manasseh who becomes the worst king of all. Let me close with one last thing. I know you guys got to get going, but um, look what it says right here in verse 26. On the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So you go over to 2 Kings chapter 16, and you're like, wait a minute, time out. It doesn't have a lot there. I mean, it doesn't have a whole bunch of information there. And so when I was reading that right there, I thought, Lord, that's kind of weird how it says right here, the rest of his acts and all his ways were written there in the book of the kings of Israel. But here we see that it doesn't really say a whole lot. The, the chronicler tells us that his actions and ways are recorded in the, the book of the kings of Judah and, and here's the thing, and i got to tell you, it simply means that another account of his life can be found there. Because here's the thing, check this out. It is impossible for any book, any human book, to record all of our ways. Huh. It, it really is. It's impossible for any human book to record all of our actions and ways. But there is a book in heaven that can. As a matter of fact, there are books that do. 
I'll share this with you guys. One of my my friends, I've had a few friends say, hey, Manny, you should write a book. Manny, you should write a book. And so I was thinking, I would like to write a book. You know, that would be kind of cool. I don't think anyone would buy it, but I think my kids, I could give them a copy of it, right? And so anyways, um, uh, then the Lord, he kind of said, well, well, you're, you're not writing a book, but I'm writing a book about you. Did you know that God's writing a book about your life? I mean, it's crazy. There's, there's a few books that, that are important for us, and one is the, is the book of life. And you can read about that throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, the book of life is mentioned explicitly eight times. And if your name is not found in the book of life, then you will not go to heaven. And that's why you have to make sure that you've repented of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not just in your head, but in your heart. Once you do that, you say, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you died for me on that cross. I really believe that. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you love me. I give you my life. Then he writes your name in the book of life. But in Revelation chapter 20, it says in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. And so I have a feeling, more than likely, that there's a book being written about your life. And when I think about that, I don't know about you, but I'm like, ooh, I better, I better talk right to my wife. You know, because isn't it funny how we can treat the ones that we love the most, the worst? That can happen, huh? Why is that? Why is that? Because they forgive us. Like my wife says sometimes, you know, you're stuck with me. I'm stuck with her. So, you know, I hate to look at it that way, but... <laughs> In one sense, we do that, but we should treat them the best. So God help us to remember that books are being written of our life. There's another book. You guys know what book I'm talking about? The book in Malachi, right? Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. It says, And then those who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. There, there's a, quite a few books. I can't wait to go to the library one day when I'm in heaven and I'm going to read all about your life. I'm just joking. <laughs> but um, the book of remembrance is when we get together and we talk about the Lord. When you and I are we're talking we're about these things that we meditated upon the Lord, and every time, hey, you know, hey, he just talked about the Lord. And there's an angel. I don't know if it's an angel. He's writing it all down, you know. The books about our life. You guys, I encourage you, man, to, to just know God's love. Like I said, it's a flow from worship because of creation and because of redemption and because of his constant attention Worship Him. Let your obedience, your missions, your personal evangelism, your discipleship, let everything flow from that heart of worship because you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on the Lord, the one who loves you 
unconditionally. I pray, you guys, we would have our eyes on Jesus. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.